Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell, and I'm here today with my good friend, Travis Allen. So, Travis, welcome to the Sword and Trial. Thank you so much. Longtime listener and first-time <laughs> guest. First-time guest. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Travis is also the chairman of the board of Founders Ministries, and so some of you have known that, but maybe many of you have not known that. He's the pastor of Grace Church in Greeley, Colorado, and you've been there for now seven years? Seven and a half years, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's been a wonderful seven years of learning, instruction, uh, all that sanctification from the Lord, and, and a great joy in seeing his work in Greeley. So yeah, so we're going to have a, a conversation here in a few minutes, but I wanted to, first of all, thank those that are members of the Founders Alliance membership or Founders Alliance churches. Uh, your support helps us to put this podcast on and to produce the materials that we produce, and we're always trying to produce more content. We've got a couple of things that you might not have heard about. Our newest book is by David Schrock. It's called Brothers, We're Not Pelagious. Not plagiarists. We're not Pelagians, nor are we plagiarists. <laughs> Brothers, we're not plagiarists. A pastoral plea to forsake the peddling of God's word. Of course, pulpit plagiarism was much in the news the last year or so. And uh, David doesn't just take shots at people. Or he doesn't take shots at people at all. He actually makes a positive case to help pastors know how we should think about constructing our sermons, preaching our sermons, so that we do it in an honorable way. I mean, everybody uses resources. We all are using commentaries. We all use that which we've learned from other people, and we want to do that in an honorable way. David walks us through that. So you can get this book uh, available through Founders Press. We gave away hundreds of these just recently at the Southern Baptist Convention that met out in Anaheim, California, and we did that because of the generous support of many who uh, enabled us to do it. Another resource that is now available, again, is the Baptist Catechism Set to Music by Jim Scott Ork. Many of you have these CDs. CDs. You've used them with your children. Uh, it's just simple tunes that help you understand and, and memorize and so that you can understand the Baptist Catechism. So again, you can go to founders.org, click on the bookstore, and access these resources. Well, Travis, before you became a pastor in Greeley, Colorado, you actually worked out at Grace to You yes. in Sun Valley with John MacArthur and Phil Johnson and other friends out there. So how long were you out there? And tell us a little bit about what you did there. Well, I... When I started there, I started in 2000, and it was in conjunction with my uh, start at the Master's Seminary. So mm -hmm. I got a job in the production department. I was making uh, tapes and CDs, uh, trying to support my family, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, make an income while I was going to seminary full-time. And so started out there in 2000, and, um, you know, over the years, different opportunities would become available to me. So I was a broadcast editor for a while. That was... Mm -hmm editing John MacArthur's sermons and making masters of his, uh, uh, his preaching from the pulpit and also putting sermons on radio. So that was a fantastic um, instruction in preaching mm -hmm. from one mm -hmm. of the master preachers of our time. Yeah. Uh, so enjoyed that for a couple of years. And then they had uh, an, a need in the, there was no web department at the time. So they asked me, um, wonder of all wonders, uh, to, uh, to start that web department and do, you know, build an internet ministry. So I did that for a number of years until, um, until um, you know, they needed somebody for the managing director role. Uh, my uh, predecessor, Don Green, left mm -hmm. to go and pastor a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And a dear friend of mine and uh, someone I look up to greatly, 
And uh, so that opened up that role. They asked me to step into that in 2011, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah. So did that, uh, did that to the end. So yeah, a lot of different experiences and things to enjoy and uh, um, lots of things that the Lord taught me through that. But, Wonderful. Yeah, it was fantastic. Before that, uh, you actually graduated from Southeastern uh, College. I don't, what's the name? Is it? Well, it was, then it was, it was Southeastern Baptist Theological College. Okay. I think now it's called the College at Southeastern, so okay, they changed yeah. the name. But yeah, that was back, you know, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Southeastern right. Seminary is basically the Southern Baptist Seminary. So I got a college, and, uh, an undergrad degree, yeah. a BA in Biblical Studies and and, uh, then went to the masters. That. Then, yeah, yeah, then went to the Border Patrol and then went to the masters. Okay. Uh, and seminar. before that, you were yeah. a part of the Navy SEAL teams, right? Yes. Yeah, so how long were you in the uh, SEAL Well, I was, I was in, a, did a four-year enlistment. I became a Christian when I was actually, you know, just came through BUDS and was went to my uh, SEAL Team 8 on the East Coast. Yeah. And uh, so... That was in 1990, uh, long, yeah. long time ago. But yeah, did that for uh, my four-year enlistment. And because I didn't have any objection to staying in the military and pursue, I loved everything I did with the SEAL teams. Uh, just it left an indelible impression upon me and mm. my thinking. But the Lord obviously was directing me toward ministry. And I didn't discern it at the time, but that's, that's what, that's what he was directing me to. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I always feel safer when I'm around you <laughs> and, uh, for that reason, but you know, I would think that probably, uh, training as a Navy SEAL would be pretty good preparation for pastoral ministry, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. Um, those Sometimes sheep, I wish I had that training. Those, those sheep bite. <laughs> yeah, and the wolves, too. Yeah, yeah you don't so. see it coming. They're so fuzzy and cuddly, and then all of a sudden, out come the, out come the teeth. Yeah. No, but, but yeah, it, it, was, it was great preparation in a lot of different ways, and in a lot of ways, there's nothing really that can compare, uh, prepare you adequately for pastoral ministry except doing pastoral ministry. Right, so. right, yeah. Well, anyway, we've been gr- very, very uh, pleased and encouraged with all of your help and leadership at Founders, and uh, you were involved even before officially becoming a board member and then becoming the chairman of the board, and appreciate that uh, long-time uh, extension well, you've been, of grace. you've been very, very kind and trusting, and I'm not sure if it's well-deserved, but I appreciate that. <laughs> no. And, and I, I'm wondering if actually, I, I don't know what you have in mind for asking me more questions, but I think I think what I would like to do, if with your permission, is is kind of commandeer this and kind of turn the tables a little bit so that I can ask you some questions. And, and the reason I want to do that, Tom, is because, you know, I'm... I, I did get a degree from a Southern Baptist institution. I was a Mm. member of a Southern Baptist church back in the mid nineties until I graduated from Southeastern end of 97. But it's, you know, I haven't, I didn't grow up Southern Baptist and I didn't uh, stay within the Southern Baptist convention. Our church is not Southern Baptist. And, uh, and I like much of the world that was watching uh, was (laughs) watching the Southern Baptist convention last week uh, at the time of this recording was last week. And, um, I came away with a lot of questions, and I know that in asking you questions, you generally can give, generally, can give pretty good <laughs> answers and, and kind of wipe away some of the mystery. And I'd just like to ask you a few questions as a Southern Baptist outsider. I'm the host here, so, you know, uh, and you're not in the SEAL teams anymore. So. Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't look that intimidating anymore where you're going to cower or back down. Well, what, I mean, what, what do you want to know? Well, I'll, I'll, just, you know, maybe maybe... Maybe I could start with like, what in the world? <laughs> no, yeah. um, I don't want to be. I don't want to be so uh, you know dismissive. But really, what did happen? I mean, what is your maybe broadening out from just a you know thirty five thousand foot view, looking down on the convention and what happened over those couple of days? 
How would you characterize it? What would you? What comes to mind? What kind of key words come to mind? Yeah, well, uh, the sex abuse task force mm. report dominated yeah. everything. It has for the last year uh, since that task force was appointed and the investigation that uh, they led out by hiring guidepost solutions yeah. To do that, I mean, that's just been dominating Southern Baptist thinking and life. Everybody anticipated it. The report was released about a month or so before the convention, according to the requirements that was placed on them. And so everybody showed up in Anaheim with this on their mind. And Guidepost is an independent uh, organization. And, you know, they're, they're an organization doesn't pretend to be Christian. Supposedly, there are Christians that work within there. But uh, they did the investigation of the executive committee from a 20-year period, basically, up until last year's convention. So it's even the motion of what time frame to investigate ended with the uh, beginning of the new executive committee members' that were appointed last year. And so from that 20-year period, they came up with about 700 or so names of people in Southern Baptist life that had been somehow uh, implicated in sex abuse activity or covering up sex abuse activity. And from that, they whittled it down and discovered about, I think it was 409 that actually were uh, connected to Southern Baptist churches in some way. And from that, there were two, I think, that were left uh, still actively in some kind of Southern Baptist leadership role in, at some level, church level or otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that was over a 20-year period looking at the executive committee. And this is all coming out in the Guidepost Solutions report That's right. that was delivered to the... S- SATF, the Sexual that's, Abuse Task Force. That's right, yeah, okay. a month ago. And uh, 288 pages, and they had mm-hmm. a dozen or so very specific detailed proposal proposals embedded in that. Um, <clears throat> and so it was, you know, there's a, a lot of things. Most of the things that they uncovered or that they put together in that report were public. It wasn't something that they just uncovered that nobody knew before. Mm-hmm. Now, there were a few things that I didn't know, and I think probably most people didn't know as well. But what it made it so dramatic and so impactful was it was all together yeah. you know so man you're just looking at it you're reading it that's true through and so you see it and it's just kind of startling and no doubt man there were some bad things that mm-hmm. happened there were some bad responses to those bad things cover-ups things that shouldn't have been done people that were platformed that shouldn't have been platformed people that were given a pass that shouldn't have been given a pass mm-hmm. no doubt all of that uh, is true yeah and i gotta think too that the release of that report i think it did it come out on may 22nd it seems like that right. name rings or that date rings a bell but may 22nd and then less than a month later is when you're all are meeting together right. and it sets up a really negative tone for the whole convention, doesn't that? Well, it, it did, but it was designed to be that to way that. so that messengers could come to the convention having read the material you know, mm. so that they would have access to the report. I got you. And so all of that was designed, you know, so that we're not just showing up and hearing for the first time what was in that report. But one of the things that, again, created some real problems um, – in, in one sense, you can regret it, but in another sense, I'm always of the mind that, look, if something's true, I want to know it, even yeah. if it's bad. You know, yeah, I want to know it. Right. And so this is Pride Month. June is Pride Month. And so Guidepost Solutions comes out with their rainbow flags. Like, right. we, we very proudly support the LGBTQ community. We're allies, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, that, was, uh, that was well-timed. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot, of, a lot of Southern Baptist churches like ours said, what? Yeah. We just paid how much to this organization that – celebrates sexual perversion in order to uh, investigate sexual misconduct and crimes. 
And it's just, I mean, it's really just and, throwing and a cloud out of over. curiosity, how much was was the the bill for that? I don't think we've gotten the final bill yet. I mean, it was over a million the last time that I saw a figure, and that was with discounts, you know, because the task force has said we thank you for all the discounts that they've given or what they. I don't understand all of it yet, mm. and I don't know that the final bills will come. If they have, I just haven't seen them. The estimate that I saw was going to be north of two to two million, maybe three million or so, uh, two guidepost solutions for what they did in that nine month. Um, investigation now there's wow yeah there's more coming you know there's more uh, more bills to pay more got a lot of lawyers at guidepost (laughs) (laughs) well i mean there's uh interestingly after guidepost showed their colors uh, no pun intended (laughs) the uh there were lots of southern baptists including several state conventions and lots of churches that said we do not want southern baptists to have anything else to do with guidepost solutions rightly so we don't need them to do that. I mean, they, they did their investigation. But again, most of the stuff that came to light was not hidden. It was mostly public records. Okay. And they did a lot of investigation, a lot of uh, um But still, uh, the compiling of that, it's a lot of work, but the compiling of that and then the impact of that on the reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I read some of it, and mm-hmm. I didn't read all of it, but I what I read was disturbing. It yeah, was really troubling. Yeah. So you got 47,000-some churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know how many people <laughs> that represents. But um, that's a lot of people, a lot of million. churches. Yeah. How many? About 14 million. 14 million. That's, On paper. That's massive. Yeah. And then um, how many of those 47,000 churches sent messengers to, uh, to the convention? 3,500. 3,500. Okay, 3, so help me to understand as a non-Southern Baptist, is that good? Is uh, that bad? Is it's, it? uh, it's a little less than average, I think. I think on average it's anywhere from maybe 8 to 9% or so. That would be a, a, a good year. But there's several factors to keep in mind. Number one, we're on the West Coast. That yeah. is not the seedbed for the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, well, it, was, it was in Southern California. That, that's right, where you lived for many years. <laughs> so uh, uh, Southern yeah. Baptists used to refer to the frontier areas of the yeah. nation where you know, the, the heart and soul of most of our churches have been in the South, Southwest, Southeast, and right. somewhat in the Midwest. Far West, Northeast, you know, yeah. those are not hot spots yeah, for SBC sure. churches. And so it was hard to get to geographically. And then it's incredibly expensive. I mean, gasoline was like six and a half bucks a gallon mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. The hotels were expensive. The food was expensive. It's just... There are a lot of things that mitigated against this being a well-attended convention. Sure. And despite all that, it's the largest West Coast convention we've had in, I forget how many years, decades. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so usually they, they would have expected under normal circumstances about 5,000 or less mm. to show up. So we had a little okay. over 8,000, which is more than you would expect in that venue. Mm. But it's certainly uh, not representative. And one of the concerns that I have, and one of the things that I've been talking about and one of the real hopes that that I guess we could have going forward is that most Southern Baptist churches just haven't shown up and haven't spoken up and they have not been represented yet and they need to be if we're going to see things become healthier in the SBC because my fear is that there's a, a smaller group of churches, leaders, institutional leaders that have really been at the helm and making the decisions for the last several years. And most of the churches have just been very trusting, going along with it, assuming, you know, that those leaders put in those positions of responsibility Mm -hmm. are acting uh, in their best interests. And I'm not sure that's always been the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would uh, would like to come back to the sexual abuse task force with a question in a minute. Um, You know, for, again, for an outsider watching 
you know, watching the inside of the convention uh, take place, you know, it was, it was kind of impressive to see the order that was attended to, the, mm-hmm. you know, being able to stay disciplined and on task and move through pretty massive agenda and try to get through a lot of information with a mm-hmm. lot of different people. That's kind of an impressive, uh, impressive feat. Something that stood out to me and I think stood out to a lot of people is when uh, Linda Cooper, who is the chair of the Credentials Committee, asked the Southern Baptist Convention messengers for, it sounded like one year, to create a study group to examine the word pastor, okay? Before I continue, I, I'm, again, I'm not a Southern Baptist, um, but help me understand, what is the Credentials Committee and what are they doing? What, what credentials are they, are they concerned about? Well, I think it was 2019 that uh, committee, Credentials Committee, became a uh, standing committee with the assignment to investigate churches that were brought to their attention that might not be in friendly cooperation mm. with the Southern Baptist Convention. So, so know, it used to be an ad hoc community, well, committee yeah, or something? It was, or? Uh, I think it only functioned on an, a yearly basis. So mm. There would be a new committee every year. I think oh, that's I right. See. I'm a little fuzzy on that. But it became a standing committee because mm. of concerns for sex abuse in churches. Ah. And the convention adopted uh, an additional qualification in our Constitution that says if a church... Um, and I don't have the wording off the top of my head, but anyway, if they if they elevate or maintain in leadership someone that's been is guilty of sexual abuse or sex crime, then they are not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. So that was the real impetus behind making that a standing committee. And in 2019, there were people on the executive committee who actually pled that this not happen this way because they said, we're not equipped to deal mm. with this. Mm. And sure enough, you know, J.D. Greer was the president that year, and uh, they, the committee was formed, it was approved, and then they were given a list of like 10 churches, say, investigate these churches. Well, one of them wasn't even a Southern Baptist church. <laughs> and, uh, and so yeah. the committee, after two weeks, said, you know, we don't think there's any problems in any of them, and there may have been some problems in some of them. They just weren't equipped. They didn't have the tools to well, do what they were tasked to do. I know do. Founders has a church search database where you can right. put in some, you know, some area and try to find a church in your area. It, it is not easy for you to keep up with all the churches that, are, that say they're affiliated with right. you and to know what kind of standing they're in right now, uh, whether they hold to the 1689, whether they are in friendly cooperation with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with um, the Master's Seminary. It has the same kind of uh, church search database. It's very difficult to figure yeah. out who's really with you. So when, when they say not in friendly cooperation, is that, is that, a, is that basically saying, you're excommunicated, we're kicking you to the curb, or what is that, what is yeah. that putting them on notice, or what? Well, yeah, and it's, it, it helps to understand the polity behind it all. So every Baptist church, like yours, it is an independent, autonomous church. That's true of every Southern Baptist church, too. We're independent, we're autonomous. And so there's no kind of organizational structure over any Southern Baptist church. Every church voluntarily cooperates. But the the realms in which we cooperate, like we here in South Florida, we cooperate in a local association of churches. Well, that association is autonomous as well. Hmm. And then you have a state convention. That state convention is autonomous as well. And then you have the Southern Baptist Convention. That Southern Baptist Convention is autonomous as well. And so while the Southern Baptist... Lots and lots of autonomy. Lots of autonomy. It's important (laughs) to us, you know. And uh, while the Southern Baptist Convention cannot exercise discipline over a church, it can say, you cannot be a part of us. You know, you're no longer one of us, and okay. so we will not seat your messengers. Uh, we're not going to 
you know, castigate you and tell you, you know, that you've got to change and do this. We're just telling you this is who we are. But they're going to pull your card. That's right. You okay. won't be able to have a voting messengers at the convention okay. anymore. And there have been specific things, you know, related to that. Racism has been one. We've okay. removed churches in recent years because of their racist policies. I mean, mm. actual policies where wow. they just wouldn't let uh, minorities come into the church. Oh, wow. And when that's been okay. verified, they say you're not welcome here mm. anymore. Same thing for uh, um either ordaining or welcoming homosexuality as a normative for Christian life. You know, you're not welcome to be a Southern Baptist like that. Okay. In our Baptist faith and message, which is a very broad statement of faith, it says that the office of pastor is limited to qualified men. And so that was the issue mm-hmm. that was on the mm-hmm. credentials committee okay. mind this year because last year, just before the convention met in Nashville, uh, the Saddleback Church, where Rick Warren mm-hmm, just retired mm-hmm. as pastor, very loudly and celebratorily ordained three women pastors. Yeah, first time in history. Right, and so there were that people, was that was publicized all over the internet. All yeah, over the internet. Exactly. I mean, well, the first thing I did when I, I mean I saw it the same night I saw it. Yeah, I shot off, filled out the form, sent it to the credentials committee, and said I would like to have Saddleback Church investigated because I don't think they're in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. And you were probably the only one that sent an email like that? No, or? I don't think so. I'm <laughs> quite confident I wasn't. And I think it even yeah. came up on the floor. When and when was, was that? Oh, that, that was last that, summer. That came up on the floor of the convention I last year? I think it did. Again, I'm fuzzy on those but details. It, okay, it may have been after. But yeah, but I mean, still, it, was it came up around the same lots time. Lots of people. Right, yeah, I yeah. mean, I know I did, and I've yeah. heard from others who did as well. So the yeah. Credentials Committee is tasked then with the responsibility of, res- of getting back to messengers saying, here is the disposition of this I concern. I see. And so, okay. What, yeah. So the Lord can remove a candlestick, but the Southern Baptists can pull the card. And then that means that they don't have any, they can't send any messengers to a convention and right. they can't influence the convention in any way. Right. Um, so it's, it's uh, administrative in a sense. Well, yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, it's just acknowledging that th- this is who we right. are. Right, right, and if right, you're right. not that, you're not part of us. Okay. Yeah. They could still put Southern Baptist Church on their sign. No one's coming around and removing signs, but. No, but I mean, but yeah, they, it, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Churches that kind of seem to drift leftward like that don't seem to want to put Southern Baptist Convention on their right. sign, right? Well, yeah. That may change. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miss Cooper, Mrs. Cooper, I'm not sure if she's single either. or married, so forgive me of this. She was a very well spoken, articulate, um, you know, very intelligent woman, obviously, but she referenced that recommendation mm-hmm. uh, from the previous year uh, about whether or not to keep. Rick Warren's Saddleback Church um, within friendly cooperation, I guess, mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the SBC. And so it had to do with this question, what is a pastor? So obviously we're asking a lot of definitional questions these days. What is a woman? What is a man? <laughs> what is a pastor? Which um, reminds me, we do have a conference coming up on this. If you have questions, you ought to show up for this conference, January 2023. Yeah, and if you don't have <laughs> questions, which you're sure you need, you, you're sure you understand, you need to come anyway because you need to get your gun loaded so That's that right. you can go out into the cultural fray, as I appreciate Matt Walsh has done with that yeah. documentary, What is a Woman? That yeah. was very well done. But anyway... Asking a lot of definitional questions. And so we're all appalled, obviously, when, when Rick ordained those, those three women. And, and, and recently, too, he's named his successor at Saddleback Church as Andy and Stacy Wood. Both of them are pastors up in, I think it's San Jose, California, mm-hmm. at their church. Echo Church, I think right. is what it's called. And, and um, he is the lead pastor, and she is the teaching pastor. And according to the articles I've read, they're going to maintain those same roles when they come to Saddleback Church. So disconcerting, to say the least. 
by the way, Andy Wood evidently is a graduate of Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. So he's a Southern Baptist uh, trained man. Evidently, mm-hmm. maybe he's one of the few that Rick Warren has not trained <laughs> for ministry. <laughs> Nonetheless, I digress. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Cooper said the committee was not yet prepared um, to make a recommendation. And you've given a little bit of a context of why this is such a, yeah. a challenging problem. And I got to imagine, too, that the size of Saddleback Church, the prominence of Saddleback Church, means they don't want to be too hasty to pull the trigger on something like this. Yeah, fair? I mean, I would guess that's uh, a fair assessment. They, they said that they're just, uh, they were concerned about the distinction between the right. function and the office of pastor and that some people look at pastor as a gift and not an office. Well, I mean, we're Baptists and, and our Baptist history, polity, ecclesiology doesn't acknowledge those distinctions. And so that was just a... a, a in my estimation, a horrible misjudgment. And it, it did seem like an opportunity. They were trying to take an opportunity to avoid making a decision on well, this. That's, that's a question I had for you. Is I, I, as I'm watching and as I'm kind of processing what's happening in real time, I'm thinking to myself, either this is a an intentional ploy of the Credentials Committee to subvert the clarity of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 that... Al Mohler eloquently defended mm-hmm. uh, the definition of pastor in that. And that, I mean, that battle seemed to be won in the early 90s mm-hmm. uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. So he's advocating for that. But it's either trying to subvert that uh, clarity or perhaps there was just a fear element. Yeah. Uh, uh, being scared, not having the temerity to just, I don't know how to put it, disfellowship Rick Warren and Saddleback Church, but I, I wanted to know what you think about that. Yeah, I think it's probably both, you know. I mean, certainly it's a failure of nerve mm-hmm. uh, because the, the the Baptist faith, the message is not unclear. It's just unpopular. And we don't want to be seen as unpopular or as uh, having a tone that would in any way be judgmental or saying, oh, no, you know, we're, we're those people that won't let this church be a member. And then we've had people agitating within the convention for years saying, well, that just means senior pastor. You know, that just means the main pastor. Is she the, used the word lead pastor. Lead pastor, Added yeah. an adjective to pastor. Right, which, of course, is not what's there. And when Al Mohler stood up, he was on the committee that wrote the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 that did the update, and used, including that language. And he said, that is not at all what we meant. I mm-hmm. understand. Uh, I, th- there's no way you can misunderstand that. Yeah. Um, then you had Adam Greenway from uh, Southwestern Seminary, the president, tried to make uh, a, a amendment that was way too convoluted the messengers mm-hmm. couldn't follow the amendment mm-hmm. saying that we just need to decide how much we're going to require uh, a subscription to the baptist faith and message to be in friendly cooperation and i, I spoke to that and just said we don't need this right. amendment we right. don't need this delay we just need to vote down the amendment and then vote down this recommendation and just be true to our standard here you know that's it's pretty simple do you think there's some kind of a groundswell movement within the Southern Baptist Convention to reinstate women into ministry? Uh, I think there's some that definitely want to do that. There's no doubt. I mean, when you, you say some, are we talk, Can you guess at a ballpark percentage? Oh, I think it'd be minority, but I think there's a minority that are agitating for it that would really like it. I think there's others that wouldn't be disappointed if it happened. Hmm. Now, that's my take on it because uh, up until I didn't hear much about it this year, but you know, last few years it's women preaching on Mother's Day. You know, mm-hmm. Beth Moore led that, and everybody yeah, made right. jokes about right, it. And right, we're preaching right. on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And then 
guys like me say, wait a minute, this isn't right. And they say, well, you're just no curmudgeon. You know, why are you doing it? It's just one day out of the year. Come on, man. One Sunday's going to, you know, all that right, kind of argument right. came about. And so I think there are people that, um, I don't know what to say. I just think there's some that wouldn't be that concerned about it. Mm-hmm. There are fewer that would really like to see it happen. But I have to believe the overwhelming majority would be opposed to it. And again, I'm guessing here. I'm just giving you my experienced opinion, but uh, I don't think most Southern Baptists would be satisfied with that if most Southern Baptists were awakened to what's happening and what some would want to see us move towards. So if, if, um, if, if, this, if this complaint or this concern were registered to the Credentials Committee a year ago about a church, a little, you know, First Baptist Church of Paducah, Kentucky, or something like that, would there be any hesitation to deal with that issue? Or do you think that the size, prominence, influence, wealth of Saddleback Church had something to do with their hesitancy yeah, or reticence? Well, I don't think you can hesitate in acknowledging the context. I mean, we're right there uh-huh. in the backyard. In his backyard. Yeah. So, I mean, all of those factors, give okay. them the benefit of the doubt that, man, you know, you yeah. come to a guy's backyard and yeah. you're going to remove him from the convention. I, I get all of that. But in my mind, again, it's a failure of nerve. Okay. It's a failure of nerve. And it's interesting. Yeah. In the people that I've talked to and heard from, mm. after the fact, behind the scenes, whose voices are very prominent, had they just simply stood up and said together with Al Mohler, uh, this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. we need to deal with this right now, we'd move past it. But though privately, oh yeah, we, we can't believe we're having to debate about what a pastor is, publicly, they refuse to speak, which seems right. to be uh, somewhat uh, epidemic throughout the SBC. Kind of felt bad for Linda Cooper having to bring this to the <laughs> to the messengers, having to be the voice of this uh, this yeah. position. It was a very tough position for her to be in. I yeah, think, but, it, was, it was awkward. Yeah. So, um, again, looking in from the outside, non-Southern Baptist, um, can you help me interpret what I was seeing with regard to, it seemed that President Ed Litton, then, you know, President Ed Litton, he was allowing some messengers to speak freely to certain mm-hmm. issues from the floor and seemed to be disallowing others. Um, I could have chalked that up to a violation of Robert's rules of order or, you know, they, he, had a, he had a parliamentarian behind him who kept stepping up and saying, well, here's, here's the issue or here's the reality. Even, even at one point, there was a, a lawyer that got up and spoke and spoke against something. But at some points, he shut people down, I'd, in my opinion, quite sternly. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, though, he gave Rick Warren the floor for about seven minutes. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to know, what were we seeing there? Am I, am I just... Do I just misunderstand that really it was a matter of order and procedure and and that's what was going on? Is there something else going on? Well, yeah, I don't know what else is going on except uh, you, you just have to see this as further evidence that elections have consequences mm. and the platform controls the convention. Now, you know, theoretically, it's the messengers that control the convention. Well, that's very true. But the messengers come with a predisposition to trust the platform, trust right. those in leadership. And the platform has to keep order. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But so those, a lot of those are very subjective decisions. You know, they mm-hmm. say that it's Robert's rules of order and yet those things get forgotten, tweaked. They're from year to year. Sometimes things aren't done the same way. Yeah. So um, that was disappointing. Yeah. Okay. Disappointing. We'll leave it there, because that was that was um, it was not only just dis- disappointing in that Rick Warren um, session, but it was distasteful. Yeah. I think it was, I think everybody could say that there are memes all over the internet about how distasteful that was. Yes. I want to come back to the sex sexual abuse task force. And, and that was a highly anticipated 
mm-hmm. item of business for the convention this year. Um, released May 22nd, 2002. And I want to know for the convention, what did the convention decide to do as a convention? Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand maybe the takeaway. And I wanted to know not only what was the takeaway for the convention, but what was the, what are the implications for the SBC as a whole and also for its individual 47,000 churches in particular? I mean, how does this change the way an individual church is going to handle any alleged incident of sexual impropriety, abuse in its midst? I mean, obviously, and I've heard you talk about this a number of times, we treat crimes as crimes and sins as sins. The church, the church treats the sins. The law treats the crimes. What's going to change, mm-hmm. if anything? Help yeah. us understand that. Well, I can tell you for Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, nothing changes. Nothing will change. Okay. Yeah, because that's the way we've been treating this for years. When there's a crime, you call the state, you call the civil magistrates that God has ordained to handle crimes. And when there's sin, it's the church's responsibility to handle that. So, so we, you and many other churches are going to do just like that. But is there a is there some kind of a threat now that someone will come and pull your card because you haven't yeah, followed some procedure. You know, yeah, there might be. I mean, there's some confusion about how all this will work out, practically speaking. But basically, there were two proposals by the Sex Abuse Task Force that those are Southern Baptists that were appointed by Ed Litton. And so they're, they're different than the guidepost investigators. So right. guidepost investigators sure. made the report. Outside company. Outside, outside company. They had 12, mm-hmm. I think it was, massive recommendations. And right. so now you've got the Sex Abuse Task Force, Southern Baptists, who came up with two, two recommendations. Right. And one is to keep a database, you know, to keep a list of those who have been credibly accused of sex abuse and that that uh, devil in the details credibly yes it is there, uh, th- that has some things that'll be challenged credibly or, accused not convicted or yeah. uh, there's there's up. four qualifications and so i can remember them off the top of my head one is if you've been convicted uh or you have uh settled uh, a claim settled or, like some kind of a, yeah. a settlement out of court that's kind right of thing. or okay. a uh, criminal or a civil judgment against you. Okay. So th- 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 I think so. Those, whether it, whether it's civilly settled or civilly um, convicted, convicted yeah. or criminally convicted, those right. are the three. I think those are the three. And again, I may have that second one little little off center, but those are the three broad areas. But then the the other one is credibly accused by a preponderance of evidence that has been determined by a qualified investigative firm and, you know, other things like that. So, okay, just, just let me stop you right there. Where, where does excommunicated under due process of church discipline fit into that? <laughs> it's not in, it's not anywhere in the recommendations, you know, and is that because guidepost solutions is just a secular organization and, and is it recommended to these things because it's a, it's a Southern Baptist I don't know, brother. I mean, I, you know, ex- okay. ex- church discipline. If we had disciplined churches, I, I wrote an article about this we years ago. This. Absolutely. I'm, it wouldn't be this deal yeah. because if you had churches that were practicing formative and corrective discipline, front door discipline, back door discipline, who gets in, who stays in. Regenerate church membership and not dealing with any shenanigans with regard to sin. That's right. I mean, again, I wrote an article maybe in 2019 about this, about uh, the scourge of sexual abuse in our churches and a far worse serious problem, mm-hmm. which is an unregenerate membership. Yeah, Why right. would you trust mm-hmm. leaders in a church to care well for your bodies if they're not caring well for your souls? I mean, that's the thesis of the whole article there. 
So it, the, this task force sets up this database so you can get on this database if you've been credibly accused. So proposal number one, set up a database of those who are credibly accused and those yeah, four elements. Okay. That's right. And gotcha. then the, the other is to form another task force that will work on implementing sexual abuse reforms. And so uh, Bart Barber, the new president, will appoint that task force. And included in that is there to study, I think, to look at the guidepost recommendations and see what, if any, should be recommended to be implemented. So there's right. more to come. We just don't know all that it will. We hope that there will be uh, spiritually minded people on that task force to mm. think through things biblically and will recognize <laughs> the categories of crimes and sins and the responsibility of the church and the state to deal with each as God has assigned. And if that happens, that'll be wonderful if they could make some recommendations along those lines. Well, it sounds to me again, like an outsider, like, like step number one, it's, it's, it's a little dubious, you know, about credible, you know, preponderance evidence and who's deciding and all that. But step number two, it seems like Camel's nose has come into the tent and then the whole camel's going to come in the tent. We really don't know then what's going to happen down the road with what they're going to propose and yeah. and all that coming forward. No, that's right. So this next mm. year will be determinative and the following okay. year probably after that as well. Uh, also, there was set aside, I think it was four and a half million dollars for mm-hmm. this task force to utilize. There's a hotline that is set up so uh-huh. that you can call anonymously and, you know, say, here's a situation I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, good news, bad news on that. Anybody can call, anybody can make an accusation, and then the process starts. And if well, then that also doesn't seem to subvert the whole process of elder, elder leadership and pastoral leadership and authority in what the church. What a church is supposed to do, yeah. I mean, you don't do that anonymously. I mean, again, granted, there, there are situations where people are caught yeah, okay. up. Where men, that. you know, they don't know. I mean, you've dealt with them. Yeah, I've dealt and maybe with them. maybe it's the pastor, you know, and they they, they don't trust right. any of the leadership, they're, they're so they got to right. call somebody. You know, okay. and so we we That's try fair. to hammer that in the in our own context here. Yeah. That look, if you are being mistreated, mm-hmm. then you need to get safe. First of all, yeah. we will help you get safe. And then you tell someone, you must yeah. let somebody know. That's right. And that's happened. And oftentimes, very often, it's been a close friend that they finally confided in mm-hmm. that says, we need to get the leadership of the church involved. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when things begin to, to mm-hmm. roll the way God tells us that they should roll. So all of that is set up. Um, one of the things that we just have to inevitably uh, face up to is that we now have, the last time I checked, there were over 20 lost law firms throughout the United States that are trolling for Southern Baptist members. Are you a member of a Southern Baptist church? Have you been mistreated? Mm. You could be owed millions of dollars. Join this class action suit. So it's a whole class, another class of ambulance chasers. Oh, without a doubt. And of course they'll do it all, you know, for just contingency. Oh, yeah. And so 40% <laughs> and you get 6% look yeah, at this. Right. So we're going to be facing that. There's questions about uh, liability. Doesn't that seem like a drain the bank account of the SBC? Yeah. Well, I talked to one highly trained trial lawyer uh-huh. who said, um, said the SBC will be sued into oblivion. Oh. And that's his judgment. Now, that, that was early before the amended recommendations of the task force. But mm-hmm. after he read the um, guidepost report, he said they'll mm-hmm. be sued into oblivion and they'll mm-hmm. have to go bankruptcy. And you, the, the best hope you could have is that after bankruptcy, you can maybe see something good come out of that. Now, mm-hmm. again, I haven't had that conversation with that man since that time, but I've talked to other lawyers who are equally concerned, including those that are not associated with the Southern Baptist Convention at all, outsiders looking in. I mean, one pretty high-powered uh, guy that makes his living off of this, wow. and he says, you know, you, you got you, this is fraught with dangers yeah. all over it. So that's uh, – we'll, we'll see. Uh, uh, here's what I'm – 
quite confident of. I've had many, many churches contact me, their pastors or people from their churches, saying, look, if somebody over in Kansas City uh, commits a sexual crime against uh, a member of a church, they're a member of some of that church, they commit a sexual crime, then my church in Houston, Texas, shouldn't have to pay for it. And if you start trying to make us do that, we're gone. And if we give money that we trust to our leadership to help fund missionaries to go to hard places to make Jesus known, and that money then begins to be paid out because of misdeeds done in another place that we had nothing to do with. Right, lawyer bills and stuff. We're not going to give our money. So. Mm There are challenges. we got some real challenges in front of us. We'll see how it sorts out. I I hope that we'll be able to thread the needle uh, where necessary, but it's going to take the wisdom of Solomon and God's kindness and grace to keep us true to our Baptist ecclesiology while not turning away from the real problems that exist. I mean, there there have been some real problems. Again, had we been following the Scripture, those problems would have been dealt with the way that God's provided for them to be dealt with, but we've lost a lot of that yeah, yeah it, you know in watching the and i just just maybe throw this in as an aside and a, and a parenthesis kind of a question um you just mentioned uh president bart barber who is going to kind of you know steer the ship the sbc ship into the into the future and into some very uncertain and troubled mm-hmm. waters um and uh, you know i'd not I don't know him, mm-hmm. you know, one way or another. I just know that there were about 40% of, of the delegates there that wanted you to be president. And I wanted to know, just maybe for the record, are you disappointed? Um, <laughs> well, you, you upset by this? Because I think a lot of them did see you as kind of a voice of reason and wisdom mm-hmm. and, you know, been a been a, a faith, faithful, doctrinally, theologically informed pastor who's dealt with all these issues at a local level. And now you're, you're able to apply a lot of that wisdom for the help of the convention, mm-hmm. you were not, you're not always sanguine about the SATF, the Sexual mm-hmm. Abuse Task Force, the Guidepost Solutions, and all the things that they were doing. You've had, you've had concerns along the way, and you've mm-hmm. registered those concerns. Are you disappointed? Yeah, I, I don't think disappointment is the right word. Okay. You know, I was willing to do this, yeah. and uh, increasingly so as it got closer to the convention, because so many were saying that they felt like I represented them. Yeah. You know, just normal pastors, mm-hmm. regular churches, nobody knows about. Whatever reason, God's given me uh, opportunity to have a voice and mm-hmm. to be in that position. So I was willing to do that. But it's not anything like, I, you know, man, i got to do this. If yeah. I don't do this, I'm crushed. Uh, you weren't angling like a politician, you know, trying no, to win, no, win, no. A, win a fourth term or something. No, like I mean, that. I had yeah. people counseling me. you got to, you, you know, you've this was said to me multiple times, you hitched your wagon to CBN. You know, why have you endorsed CBN and Conservative Baptist Network? So look, I got friends in Conservative Baptist Network. I'm not a member of that. They've endorsed mm-hmm. me. I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not demanding they see eye to eye with me and they're not demanding I see eye to eye with them. We agree on these things. So before I left for Anaheim, we had a, a church meeting, a prayer meeting. We took some time in that prayer meeting and the question was raised, well, what will you do you know, if, if you lose, that's why I'm going to come home and I'm going to preach Romans 13, one through four. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, what will you do if you win? That's why I'm going to come home and I'm going to preach Romans 13, one through and, four. And Romans 13, one through four is exactly the text that you uh, had next. That was your the next position of Romans that's right. over the past few years. That's right. No, yeah, that yeah. was the next verse. And so you weren't preaching on government because of some <laughs> political. No, issue. that's true. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> I just want to clarify. Yeah, no, that. that's a, that's a real good point <laughs> yeah. to clarify, but yeah. it's, um, if I were to be the president of the SBC, it would have been a priority after my main priorities. Oh. I would have been doing 
what I had to do and want to do it to the best of my ability. Pastor first, president second. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's right. a lot of things that God's given me to do, he's called me to do, that, yeah. that I would add president too, but it would be mm-hmm. down the list. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I'm not disappointed in the sense that I feel like, you know, a lot of people would have taken some encouragement had I been elected. And yeah, you know, I wish I was elected. I wanted to be elected, but I'm very content that God's will was done. So mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. crying over it, didn't lose any sleep over it. And I'm praying for Bart, you know, Bart, I, it's funny. I came across some correspondence Bart and I had uh, just the other night, I was going through cleaning out some things on my computer. And in 2018, I actually asked him if he would run for president. You know, huh. I, I wanted him to run. You know, so I think Bart's got real integrity. I mean, mm. I, I do believe that about mm-hmm. him. He and I don't see these things in yeah. exactly the same way, but I think he's he's going to attempt to be a very honest mm-hmm. president and will do his best. And certainly Southern Baptists ought to be praying for him because he's going to need great wisdom, great help uh, going forward. So, Does he prepare his own sermons? As far as I know, he does. All right, well, <laughs> he's got a mark for him already. Right. He's Any, already stepping it, stepping in the right direction. That's right. That's Anybody good. who's heard me preach knows I prepare my own sermon because you don't, you don't buy those kind of sermons. <laughs> You're not getting your money's worth. <laughs> They're not on the internet for sale. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, so you mentioned the CBN, the Conservative Baptist mm-hmm. Network, to be, to be distinguished from Christian Broadcasting Network. Yes, so thank you. CBN, the, the uh, Conservative Baptist Network, they are they within the Southern Baptist Convention? Are they mm-hmm. all Southern Baptists? Okay, yeah, so they are. I, you know, I don't know how, I had different ways of, of kind of getting this information. But there were, and I don't want you to go into all this, mm-hmm. but there were a number of different ways um, that kind of came out even in real time during the convention to kind of maybe besmirch you a little mm-hmm. bit and kind of sully your character, reputation. Some of it was just downright ungodly and other things were just like, what? You know, and one of them that kind of had me scratching my head that I would like you to comment on is this whole Calvinist, you know, you know, casting aspersions on you for your your Calvinism, mm-hmm. believing in the doctrines of grace. If I understand correctly, Founders Ministries is called Founders Ministries because it's going back to the founding documents of the Southern Baptist Convention and discovering that those men were, wait for it, yeah, <laughs> Calvinists. Calvinists, right. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay, and so why why is there such a negative negativity about Calvinism within a convention that was started by Calvinists for the purpose of association, cooperation, mm-hmm. missions, evangelism. Um, yeah. What's the what's and, the concern? Well, and there are those that would say that it wasn't just Calvinists or Reformed Baptists that started the SBC, okay. that there was always, you know, a mixture. <coughs> okay, there's fair there's probably some some truth to that. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you can see it in even James Boyce's uh, conversations about some of his students that were not Calvinists. So where they come from? Well, they came from the churches that were a part of this sure. initial beginning. So we, we understand that. But the Calvinism, non-Calvinism debate was the thing that was really hot, you know, for the last 20, 25 years. It warmed up after the conservative resurgence. And, uh, and it seems to me there's a good reason for that, because once once we can accept and agree on the fact that the Bible is inerrant, divinely inspired, authoritative, well, then we're in the boundaries within which we can have conversations right. about difficult doctrines. Sure. Yeah, that that's, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so that's Whitfield and Wesley. Yep. That is uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, G. Campbell Morgan. Right. You know, th- these are brothers who saw things radically differently on yeah. these issues. So spirited debate can take place, cut and thrust, that, that helps sharpen iron sharpening iron. Yeah, right. I mean, Campbell Morgan and... Uh, Lloyd Jones, I think, are just a great example of that, you know, because uh, Morgan would say that uh, Lloyd Jones may be a Calvinist, but on 
no, uh, maybe a Calvinist, but when he preaches, he sounds like an Arminian. Arminian and Lloyd Jones will say, "Well, you may be an Arminian, but when you pray, you sound like a Calvinist." You know, and so I mean, they just had yeah. a great relationship, mm-hmm. worked together five years uh, with that, and I think that's where Southern Baptists need to be now, and I think in some ways are coming to be because we had some pretty acrimonious debates, and I, and I was guilty of that too. I wish my spirit had been better in many of those debates, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think I could safely say that. I've heard that from those who have been on the other side of those debates from me, too. Uh, We now feel more chastened given the fact that we're facing some massive challenges Mm. that make the Arminian or non-Calvinist Calvinist debate appear to be small potatoes. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've used this line many times. If God grants us victory through this, then I'll gladly buy you a cup of coffee and we'll start debating Calvinism again right, you know, down right. the road. But we're, we've got so many more things we've got to contend for mm-hmm. that we agree on right now that those fraternal debates needs, need to be put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Nobody's given up their convictions. I mean, I had guys that I mean, I've crossed swords with hard mm. that uh, supported me and wanted me to be president. And people even asked them, how can you vote for a Calvinist? And there were some, actually— uh, who were a part of a group that was supporting me mm-hmm. that at the last minute did what they could to keep me from being elected because of my Calvinism. Wow. So, you know, and that's isn't, their prerogative. Now, isn't Mike Stone, he was the one who was nominated yeah. last year, and he's he's not a Calvinist. He's not a Calvinist. And yet, and, and I heard him talking about you're not going to be planting or pulling <laughs> tulips or whatever yeah, right. in, in presidency, but he, I, I thought he gave you an excellent yeah. I mean, I wanted to get saved after hearing his nomination. <laughs> hey, it changed my vote. <laughs> so Change your I vote. voted for myself after that. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. And so, you yeah. know, you can see the friendship that, sure. uh, that you guys uh, developed over the past uh, couple of years of camaraderie mm-hmm. and, some, yeah. and some issues that you guys see as, uh, as vital and important. I, um, going back to Rick Warren, I see Rick Warren. Uh, this is, again, as a non-Southern Baptist looking in from the outside. I see him, you know, a lot of people are subi- surprised when they find out Saddleback is a Southern Baptist church. <clears throat> right. They say, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it sure is. And he, in his um, in his inimitable way, as he spoke to all the Southern Baptists he loves, he said, Kay and I could not have planted, built uh, Saddleback Church except for within the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. And I thought... How true that is in some ways, and, and in a sense, that could be an indictment on the Southern Baptist Convention because he, to me, seems to be the poster child for pragmatism mm. and Arminianism. And I see, I see his Arminian theology and his pragmatic ways um, as going hand in glove. I'm, I, I wonder what you think about mm-hmm. that with regard to Rick Warren in particular, and then if that is true, how much of that is laced throughout the Southern Baptist Convention and really will undermine some kind of a cooperation and a unity yeah. within the convention? Well, I don't cast it that way because yeah. I mean yeah. I, I can point to you, I point you to men who call themselves and would pass any test to prove they're five point Calvinists who are just as pragmatic. Mm. And I, so I think it's more. It's uh, more the man, not the. Well, and more what David Wells described as. Uh, uh, no place for truth. Yeah. That theology is not at the center. Right. I mean, give me a true Arminian who takes his theology seriously over a Calvinist who just likes to be young, restless, and reformed and is going to do whatever the next thing is. So whatever the, the theological perspective they're coming from, as David Wells says, God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. Absolutely. And that's the issue. That's the issue. That, that, that is it. And again, you know, you can see it because uh, I, I look at the 
YRR movement. The Young Restless and yeah. Reformed. And, yep. you know, they're, they're kind of like our guys, or they were our guys, you know, and, and I was trying to encourage and help a lot of that go along. And yeah, some uh, said they were too young, too restless, and not, not really reformed. <laughs> right, yeah. So. And I think we have dem- it's been demonstrated that many, not all, but many in that movement, their mm-hmm. theology was just superficial. It was cool. Yeah. You know, it, was it was cool, cool, to, the time. cool, to, cool be to be a Calvinist. Calvinist yeah. right. So, uh, so our problem. Those, those were the days. Yeah, right. It didn't last long. <laughs> One aberration within church history when yeah. it's cool to have your right doctrine. But um, <laughs> I, I think that it really goes even you know more fundamentally mm-hmm. than the issue of Calvinism and non-Calvinism. I think it really is. I've said it this way, and I keep saying it. There's just no fear of God before our eyes, by and large, anymore. And if we would return to that, if God would bring us low and grant us repentance, then I I think that we would begin to find the common ground necessary to stand against all this onslaught that's just come in over these last several years, repress that, and then get back on healthier ground with our Bibles open where we can have the kind of debates and discussions you described earlier. Yeah. Yeah. A fear, a fear of God, a spirit of the fear of God in would be a blessing to any people, Amen. any convention, any church and a spirit of humility. And you really want to see the humility grow mm. in a public body like that in a public meeting yeah. like that as well. There was um, just shifting gears a little bit. There was a recommendation uh, from the messengers, I believe from the floor to conduct a forensic audit of the North American uh, Mission Board, mm-hmm. is that what it's called, NAM? And the North American Mission Board, they're about a, they're basically it's the SEND uh, agency that's about mm-hmm. doing church planting or church revitalization of Southern Baptist churches throughout. The, North is America. it the the contiguous United States or is it also North America? North yeah. America, mm-hmm. okay, North America. Oh, because it's the North, North American, American Mission Board? Board. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very clever. They, they put it right here, in the title. I'm so here to educate Avoid you. confusion. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that that recommendation for a forensic audit and, and talking about where's the money going mm-hmm. seemed to make some people on the platform pretty uncomfortable. And again, mm-hmm. I'm being an outsider. I'm not sure if I was interpreting that correctly, but, you know, the Roberts Rules of Order... Um, a parliamentarian guy got up and then he brought up a lawyer also to speak to that and said, nah, this can't happen. I was wondering, was that, was that all legit? You know, are we, were we, what were we seeing there? Yeah. Well, I think you're exactly right. There was a great deal of discomfort. And of course I've been calling for forensic audits, not just of NAM, but of all of our entities and agencies. Mm-hmm. I think that was. <laughs> forensic audits make everybody uncomfortable. Well, well, yeah. Well, but it's, it's, you know, but you tr- think trust. Do you think there's just cause for that? I, well, I, I do. Not necessarily because I think people are doing, you know, sketchy things. Fairies. or might be. Yeah. But there's just so many questions and so many accusations floating mm-hmm. around. And especially with NAM and Lifeway and others that, hey, we are built on trust. Yeah, you know, it's that right. rope of sand that right. cannot exist if it begins to be fractured. And so in order to give a baseline, I think it would be healthy for every one of our entities and institutions to do a forensic audit, to schedule it over the next three or four or five mm-hmm, years, mm-hmm. and then about every seven or eight years, come back and do another one. They do annual audits, you know, and they have outside auditors, and that's all right and good. But a forensic audit comes mm-hmm, in with some teeth mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. say, are you actually operating the way that you say you're supposed to operate and according to the laws and the, uh, what's, what's been entrusted to you right. from the convention that owns you. And I just, I think we would, re, you know, if, if you're not doing anything wrong, why would you hesitate? Sure. Yeah. And if you are doing something wrong, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know? Yeah. Don't I mean, you want to, well, don't you want to correct it, rectify what's, yeah. what's the issue? And it doesn't mean people go yeah. to jail. It just means yeah. you might have to pay a fine or you might have to make some changes in or your some processes. Some people might need to be fired. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, yeah. but again, 
I, it's not hostile. I think this is a healthy thing for the Yeah, convention. there's a parallel I see maybe to the last presidential election where there's some questions about, you know, tallying up votes and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, and that's an indication that there's a there's a, a degeneration of people's trust in yeah. the system. Man, when democracy, when you lose trust in a vote or trust in a system and how it's operating, man, pay the money you need to in a forensic audit to mm. restore credibility and trust to those institutions Absolutely. so that people feel comfortable giving again. Exactly. Is that I, right? No, I think it would be the healthiest thing we could do. You so forensic audit is not is not seen, not to be seen like it was seemed to be presented as yeah. a negative thing. Yeah, a punitive like why, thing. Why yeah. this divisive spirit instead... <clears throat> It's, it's very positive. It's very forward-looking, right? Yeah, that's my estimation. That's yeah. what I was contending for. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think that'll ever happen? Uh, I think it might. There's a lot of people that that seem to resonate with as I've mm. talked to folks the last few months. And yeah. so okay. I think, again, if I were an entity head, I think I would work to try to get one going. I think you would win all kind of favor with churches if you just said, hey, we've decided to do this because we want to put your mind at ease. Well, maybe you can send a text to President Brett Barber and say, hey, remember, I'm the one who encouraged you to vote for or to to uh, to take the presidency of the <laughs> SBC. And maybe, you know, you and I could work together on uh, putting together. I'm sure he's got more advice than he can handle right now. You think so? Yeah. so? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a few opinions coming his way. Yeah, that's probably true. Listen, if um, if you're me and you're you're someone uh, like me asking someone like you questions like I'm doing right mm-hmm. now, what questions should I ask? What what uh, have I not asked and not discerned about the SBC that that is still needs to be that needs to be put on the table. Yeah, well, I mean, the big question everybody's kicking around right now is, man, you know, why stay in the Southern Baptist Convention or why join the Southern Baptist Convention? And um, and it's not for everybody. I get that. You know, you, if you're going to be Southern Baptist, you're going to say, I'm willing to live within some broad parameters to voluntarily cooperate where I can with churches that are not going to do everything just the way I do it. Right, right. And so, you know, there's some things you're going to let go and some things you're going to say, you know, they'll do that. would never do that in 100 years. And you're going to do things that they would say that about you, but you can hopefully have a, a fraternal kind of respect and relationship. And so not everybody can do that. And I get that. That's that's fine. But the Southern Baptist Convention matters, and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. If all the good churches left tomorrow, it's going to continue in the hands of bad churches, and it will continue in the hands for uh, purposes that will be detrimental to yeah. the advance of the gospel, just like the PCUSA is and mm-hmm. has been for over 100 years. Yeah. You know, all the good churches were kicked out. It didn't go away. It's the United Methodist Church. Same thing you could say about that, at least in its North American expression. So it matters. And if you're going to be in the Southern Baptist Convention, you ought to want to see it become as healthy as it possibly can be. Yeah. And I think we got some real challenges. I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody. Anybody that's been listening to me for the last 20 years, 25 years, knows mm-hmm. that you know I think we have some things that need to be corrected and looked at. And uh, so I would just say, yeah, if you're going to be a part of it, recognize what it is, recognize what it's not. Don't try to make it something that it's not designed to be. Yeah. And uh, yet don't neglect what it can be and try to make it the very best uh, type of cooperative effort that it can be. So those are questions that every church is going to have to Do you think this itself. is recoverable, SBC? I believe in a God who raises the dead. Yes, I know. But that's not what, that's not what I asked. So you're telling me you don't believe God so, can do this? So okay, so what Tom Askell has said is it's going to take a supernatural act of the Almighty God bypassing all natural and, and providential no, means I mean, to it, raise the dead, is what you're saying. The Southern Baptist Convention is dead, is what you just said. I no, here's the, uh, here's the practical reality. How do you change a convention? There's a polity. We have a polity that's designed to do that. You just have to get people in the room to vote for a change. You have to elect a president who's committed 
to changing things. And if you and you can do that. All you got to do is show up. So you get more people in who believe that than people who don't believe that. Then you elect a president. That begins a process yeah. whereby over time it can change. And you have to be patient. You have to take oh, yeah. a long view. It can't happen and so, overnight. And then 47,000 churches, you're hoping that New Orleans is a much closer stop for most of those churches than Anaheim. Well, it is. It's definitely yeah. that. I hope that that will be taken advantage of so that mm-hmm. churches will send messengers and, uh, you know, that people will just be awakened to what's going on. Because, I again, not everything's bad in the SBC. There's mm-hmm. some really good things. Mm-hmm. But there are bad enough things that have kind of crept in that if we don't deal with them, and we're not clear-minded. Again, if we don't say out loud what so many people are saying to me privately, and there's yeah. just not enough yet willing to say it mm-hmm. out loud, which yeah. is one of the problems, then uh, th- it's it's not going to be good over five years. Yeah. It's just not going to be. Right. So I don't know what God will do. And um, But, again, every church is independent and autonomous, as is ours. And we're going to do, under God, what we believe he wants us to do here mm-hmm. locally. And we'll cooperate where we can within the convention, outside the convention. Churches mm-hmm. like yours, we have great yeah. fellowship and friendship yeah. uh, with your church. And I think that's the right kind mm-hmm. of uh, Baptist fraternal relationships. How much do you think that the Southern Baptist Convention is a barometer of wider evangelicalism? I know, I know you're 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 very immersed in the SBC, mm-hmm. and so that may be unfair. But I also realize you're exposed enough mm-hmm. and travel widely enough and are conversant enough that you can see things from the outside. So how much do you think it's a barometer? I think it's significant. I think it's very significant. Uh-huh. I mean, again, I've got friends outside the SBC like yourself, uh-huh. but uh, people in this institutions and in some uh, evangelical organizations that have communicated with me that, man, you know, we, we want to see the SBC healthy. We want to see the SBC healthy. It's a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Right, right. And so I think that what happens in the SBC matters. I don't know what the numbers are now, but uh, – Sometime in the last 15 years, man, the majority, the, the, the single greatest group in the Evangelical Theological Society were Southern Baptists, mm. which 35 years ago, there were hardly any Southern Baptists mm. in ETS. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one example. You look at the books that are published. You look at the materials, the, the Sunday school literature. All of that stuff is impacted because of LifeWay's uh, presence yeah. in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it mm-hmm. matters. It does have an impact. Uh, the six seminaries, we educate one-third of all yeah. seminary students in North America. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rick Warren's actually, his numbers are a lot <laughs> higher than that. I'm not sure what his I know, we can't is. compete with Rick. But, but nevertheless, he is a Southern Baptist. That's true. So, so you can you count might, those yeah, numbers. That's, right. that's yeah. a good Baptist thing to do that's is to right. count those numbers. Yeah. So um, will you run again? If, uh, if someone nominates you for presidency next time it's up, will you run again? <sighs> Look, I, I have no aspirations. I mean, I, the same mentality that I've had for years. And uh, You didn't I have aspirations to, the last time. I know. I had to be convinced. And so right. I think the bar will be much higher for me to have to be yeah. convinced again. Um, but, again, I want to I see Bart do well. I want to see him yeah, do what's right and what's good. I want to see good presidents come in that yeah, will see things and make hard decisions if they need to to try to get us on the right road. Well, you're right. If, if, if good people get a hold of the wheel there, you, know, you can steer this thing with in in the right directions yeah. and influence a lot of people, and that's you sure. know, that's that's been you know, that's been the desire uh, that you want to see an influence for the gospel and for sound theology. Yeah. You want to be able to have that conversation. Amen. So. Yeah, amen. So yeah. I, don't, I think there's a lot better qualified folks than me. People. Well, let me ask one. Let me ask one more question and kind of turn over. My, okay. I, I'm I'm through commandeering. Thank your, you. Your then I can interview. take up. Back you can over take the host over. Okay. Um, but you know, just maybe maybe for those who came away from that convention discouraged, you know. Mm. It, you know, be a pastor right yeah. now and just speak to some of your brothers and, and uh, sisters who, whether they were there in attendance mm-hmm. and some of them, 
frankly, they got shut down on the floor. Yeah. It was really hard to see that. Um, but some some who even you know very sensitive watching that that saddened them. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a there's a bit of pessimism about the future. Maybe sure. even cynicism setting in. How would you encourage them? Well, I've had that conversation multiple times yeah. uh, from last week or, or during the convention a couple of weeks ago to today. Even they were talking to people, and it's it, you've got to come back to what is real. And right. you know, Second Corinthians. 4, 16 through 18 are great verses yeah, to meditate on right now. That whole chapter, Paul talks about the things he's lived through as an apostle and how he's pressed down, not destroyed, and persecuted, and you know, all the, the difficulties. Mm-hmm. And then he says, so we do not lose heart. You know, right. Well, wait a minute. Right. You, know, right. you just described everything that ought to dishearten you. Yeah. He said, no, we don't lose heart, even though our outward body is wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by, by day. day. How does that happen? How, he tells us how it happens. Yes. As we look. Not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Things that are seen are temporal. Things unseen are eternal, and they're working for us in an eternal way to glory. So, what back that to, back to a God who raises the dead. That's right. I mean, yeah. it's the gospel. Christ yeah. is still alive. He's still on the throne. So, everything that happened at the SBC, everything that will happen in the SBC, outside the SBC, to God's people have been filtered through His loving hands. Mm. So they come to us out of love for us and a determination to make us more like Jesus. And so the temptation is you look at this and you say, oh, my goodness, these are horrible things, and what are we going to do, and everything's changed. Well, there might be some real changes going around with things you see, yeah. but the most important things hadn't changed. Yeah. And we this is where our theology has to kick in and become practical to us. This is what will keep you from depression, and it will keep you from uh, kind of an unmitigated ecstasy too mm-hmm. because, you know, you're in a fallen world, but it's a fallen world that Jesus Christ is, is redeemed. Ruler over yeah, and he, yeah. he's going to make it all brand yeah. new. And so we, we our marching orders haven't changed. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to communicate to our church uh, before I left for Anaheim is, look, God's called me mm-hmm. to be a pastor, and I'm going to do that. And if, that, if I do that as president of the SBC, so be it. And if not, so be, so it. be it. I've got my responsibility. I've got my marching orders here. And if he wants to tweak those and add to it a little bit, that's fine. But that's true for every Christian. You know, yeah. you're called to get up tomorrow morning and go represent Jesus Christ wherever it is that he's planted you. And you can do that with joy. Now, yeah. it's, you know, it's like a master painting. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you if we don't look at the whole thing, we can get discouraged mm-hmm. looking at the little corner that we occupy and we just see a few little grains. You know, we yeah. think, man, this is a mess. This and doesn't make any sense. If you wander into the dark grains, then you feel like everything's dark. That's right. Yeah. There's no, you know, and what am I doing? My life's insignificant. But if you back up, you say, well, wait a minute. I'm a part of that. Yeah. You know, God, yeah. may, God let me be this yeah. and that. So we have every reason to be full of hope and yeah. full of confidence going forward. We don't know what the Lord will do. Uh, look at history. Man, he's raised up empires, cast down empires. Mm-hmm. He has uh, done all kinds of things that have surprised people, but he's always mm-hmm. done it yeah. in accordance with his promises yeah. in his word. So live on those promises. Remember Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, and it up. seems that in the darkest of times is when he shows himself to be strongest. It's yeah. uh, behind. It's that saying behind a, a frowning providence that hides a smiling That's face. That's right. Yeah. And he is so kind and, and always sovereign and always in control. Absolutely. Pursuing his... Uh, you know his will and his decree according to his good pleasure yeah Yeah. amen amen so be encouraged and press on that's my counsel
Well, fantastic. Thank, thanks for letting me take over this interview. <laughs> thanks uh, for having I, me on your show today. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. Anytime, uh, Dr. Tom Askell. Um, folks, we've been with Dr. Tom. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do want to turn it over to you, but I just want to thank you for letting me do that because I, I just know for myself and others who are non, non-Southern non Baptists um, and Southern Baptists as well, I, I, they really do want to hear what you, what you think and what you have to say. Uh, they've been cheering, cheering you on and praying for you. And so this is kind of a, a report back to them on, on your, yeah. you know, look at that smiling countenance. It's just, uh, it's just wonderful to see uh, your heart at rest under the sovereignty of yeah. God. So. Well, Travis, thanks for joining yeah, man. me here. And we thank you guys for listening in to the Sword and Trial. I hope you'll join us again next week.